0: Awesome. Well, I want to uh, take a minute, and uh, does anybody know what's significant about November 1st in the Christian calendar? Does anyone know what today would be called? It started so long ago, no one remembers. It's okay. Today is called All Saints Day. Did you say that, Greg? Did I not hear you? Yeah, that's right. If there was anyone that would know, I figured it would have been Greg. But today is All Saints Day, and it was a day that the early church got together to remind those who had been persecuted, to remember those, rather, those who had been persecuted for their faith, uh, those who had been killed by the Roman Empire. They, they took this day, November the 1st, to remember the saints who had died. And does anyone know what, what, what they would call the evening before All Saints Day? Say it a little louder. I heard 3 oh let's go over this side of the room halloween. halloween and do you know why it was called halloween it was a, it was a holy evening a little change in the language it was a holy evening to prepare for all saints day to prepare and remind ourselves that there are believers who give their lives for the sake of the gospel who give their lives so that the world would know jesus They gave everything that they had, everything that they were, everything that they are. They sacrificed it all so that the world would know that there is hope for all time. They gave everything they had and so we take All Saints Day and we remember the sacrifice that was given so that we would know just how much God loves us. Just that we would know that we can be a part of God's family. I think that's pretty cool. Now, Halloween, I think it's awesome that we, we give out treats, we give out candy, and I will say, from what I've seen on, on, in pictures on social media the last 24 hours or less, uh, from my own personal experience, walking through the rain last night with the kids, going door to door, we live in an incredibly generous community. Like, I got to raid the kids' candy last night, <laughs> after they went to bed, and there was like my favorite chocolate bar in there. It was a double-cup stuffed Reese's peanut butter cup. Can you believe that's what they're giving kids today? I got to eat it. They don't even know. I ate all of it. And my wife, who has been extraordinarily disciplined in her working out and her healthy eating... It was so good. She ate one of the kids' jumbo chocolate bars last night. And she shared it with me. I had more than I needed. But we remember All Saints Day, the generosity they gave towards us. And it's so cool that 2,000 years later, we may celebrate generosity, and people might not know why they actually celebrate generosity and giving out candy and treats. And who gave out? Does anyone give out tricks anymore? I didn't see hardly any tricks. Did you? Did you? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds par for the course for you, Adeline. That was Frank. Would Frank do tricks, do you think, Amy? No. Why no? Because we'd walk by his house and he didn't give us anything. I was just going to take his boat, but whatever. But it's so cool to celebrate generosity. And I tell you, kindness goes a long way. Um. The last few weeks, we've been talking about breaking the rules a little bit, uh, at least breaking the barriers that exist between us and God. And, and sometimes we put in policies, we put in ways to do things to help us get closer to God. But sometimes those things tend to get in the way, or we start to use them to our advantage and not to the advantage of the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about this the last few weeks, and Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 23, as we open to the Bible today. We, I talked about it last week, the week before, and I went home last week, well, I'll tell you later, but I went home last week feeling like I'm so glad next Sunday's coming because that was awful. I felt so bad about last Sunday's message. I don't know if it was just being distracted or what, but I, I realized one of the problems that I had last week. I'm going to get to it in a little bit and I'm going to fix it this week, okay, because we can, we can have that opportunity to do that. But my hope and desire is, is that there is nothing that would stand in the way from you having access to our Heavenly Father. I hope that nothing stands in the way between you and Jesus today. Years ago, a man named John walked into his local bank branch, something we're not allowed to do in Terrace Bay because we don't have a bank. And he went in just wearing his casual attire, put on his jeans, you know, his blue jeans, maybe a nice shirt, nothing too fancy. And he needed to finalize a business transaction. And as he walked into the bank, he said to the teller, this is what I need to do, is kind of a bigger deal. And she said, well, you need to talk to an official officer of the branch, they're not available, you'll have to come back tomorrow. And he understood, he said, no problem. And here's another problem we don't have to deal with here. He said, can you validate my parking? You know, anytime I go to the city, I hate having to pay for parking. We are blessed to live in small towns where we don't have to pay for parking. And we still end up with nice roads and sidewalks and we don't pay for parking, figure that out. Anyways, she says, Well, we can only validate your parking if you complete a business transaction. And he says, Oh, is that so? Can you make an exception since you know the reason that I'm here can't be accomplished? Not of no fault of my own, but because you are not available to serve me in this moment. She says, Sorry, rules are rules, sir. That is not. Allowed. And so he says, fine, I would like to make a transaction. In fact, I would like it to be my final transaction. Would you withdraw every dollar from my account? Which was to the tune of $1.5 million. And she says, okay, sir, I guess we can help you with that. Turns out this guy's last name was Akers, John Akers, who at the time was the chairman of IBM. Now, maybe you've never heard of IBM now, but if you've been around for a while, you know that IBM is a pretty significant a tech company, and the chairman of the board has this encounter with this teller who is not willing to budge on the rules or make an exception for a policy that really didn't make sense in this moment, and he says, I'll just take my business elsewhere. She missed out on the opportunity to serve this man and his company. What seemed like a petty thing at the time led to a huge loss in that moment for this bank. I think this is exactly the issue that Jesus is dealing with when he's talking to religious leaders in Matthew 23. He's saying, look, you guys are making it nearly impossible for people to come to God. In fact, not only are you making it really difficult, you're taking the joy out of it. Serving God is not supposed to be a burden. Following Jesus should not be hard. He says you're taking the joy, you're taking it and making it impossible to follow. And so he gives this list of seven woes that you can find in Matthew chapter 7. If you have an older translation, you might find eight of them. But believe it or not, I believe verse 14, if you look in the New International Version of your Bible, or maybe the English Standard Version, does not have a verse 14. Verse 14. So if you want, you can go to your Bible right now and go to Matthew 23. And if I tell you to read verse 14 aloud, you probably will have nothing to say because nothing will be written down. And that's simply because in some of the ancient manuscripts it exists, in some of the ones it doesn't. But you can find those exact words in both Luke and Mark's gospel as well. Fun fact for the Bible for you today. But that's not the point. I just want you to know that I know. Now you know that I know and now you know. I want to briefly look at these seven things, and when I say briefly, I'm going to do like a rapid-fire list here. So if you get bored, that's fine. I get bored too. Uh, But if you want the details, just go back and watch it later, and then I'm going to get to what I call the good part, what this really means for us today. But the first one I talked about two weeks ago, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today, was basically what I just said. They were preventing others from entering the kingdom of God. Their antagonism caused many to denounce and turn away from Jesus. The very fact that they were leaders meant that their followers, the people that followed them, automatically would not follow Jesus because they said not to. It meant that their followers rejected the Messiah because they rejected the Messiah. Number two, uh, Jesus condemns them for making converts of themselves. Uh, why did he do this? Well, believe it or not, Jesus had disciples. I think we might know that if you've been around church for a while. And Jesus wasn't the only one to have disciples. In fact, it was common practice in Judaism that a rabbi would have disciples, and the rabbi would teach the disciples everything that he knew. Not only that, they said that those closest disciples would literally be covered in the feet and the dust from the feet of the rabbi. Meaning they followed so closely as they walked everywhere in the desert, they would literally be covered in the dust from the feet of the rabbi. That's what it meant to be a follower or a disciple at the time. And Jesus says, you are going to the ends of the earth, you're crossing the sea, you're going to all places of the land to make converts. And we would think, well, that's not a bad thing. We want people to go where God tells them to go to make disciples of all nations, but the problem was they were not making followers of God or followers of God's word. They were making them just like themselves. They were evil, they were corrupt, they were power-hungry, and they were making disciples who were what? Evil, corrupt, power-hungry. You know, they taught them all the bad habits. So instead of following Elizabeth's path, they followed Pastor Gary's path. Instead of eating healthy and working out daily, she works seven to seven, 12 hours a day. She gets up at like five in the morning and I don't even hear her alarm go off. And she gets up and she works out and eats amazing, gross-looking things. And look at her now, she's phenomenal, she's incredible. She's beautiful, I mean, she's my wife so I can talk about her like this. She's gorgeous. Like I've, no, I'm not going to go there. Anyways, I like her a lot. If you want a good example to follow, follow her. If you want to get healthy and learn how to work out, don't follow me. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, I could, I could make it look good right now, but really, this is, this is really wrath. But that's exactly what they were doing. They were making converts of themselves and not as followers of the word, not of lovers of God, but as followers of themselves. And so Jesus lets out a woe for them. A woe is either just like a lament, like a grief expression, like I'm so sad that this is where you're at in your life. I'm so sad that it has come to this. And woe can also be used as a curse. And as we learn later on, as you read through Matthew 23 and into 24, the words that Jesus is speaking, they're words of sadness. They're words of grief. He says, these are the people that should know better. These are the people that should be leading the multitudes to get closer to God, not put up the gate, not put up the wall, not put up a barrier to keep them from coming to me. And he says, I I lament, I am grieved. Woe to you for putting up these barriers. The next one goes, number three, Jesus calls the religious leaders blind guides. He calls them blind fools, blind men. They were incredibly deceptive. However, they only really deceived themselves. Sure, they had a little bit of victory in the moment, but in the long term, in the eternal picture, the scheme of things, through the eyes of the kingdom of God, They really only deceived themselves and all those who chose to follow them. They would do things like, for example, they would just kind of twist the rules to their advantage. Does anyone like to do that when they play a board game? Who here loves being the banker of Monopoly, right? You could slip a few extra 500s in there. It's okay. It's the bank bank fees. I'm the banker. I collect bank fees. It's just the way it is. It's exactly what the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, it's what they did to get ahead. It gave them power. It made them feel important. It made sure that they are the ones that can only allow people to get close to God. And Jesus calls them out on it. They got, number four, they got more interested in, in rules versus reality. Think back to that the chairman of IBM, John. They got more into rituals over reality. Jesus calls them out for being so meticulous with their tithe. Well, how is that a problem, Pastor Gary? They were, they were faithful in their tithing. They gave 10% of everything they owned, but the problem was they were so meticulous about giving a tenth of their spices, a tenth of their dill. You can read Matthew chapter 23 and find it, I think, in verse 16 or 15. I think it is. And it will tell you all the things that they were meticulous about in their tithing. I mean, we know that God believes in generosity. We know that tithing was a command that God, gave, that God gave for them to follow. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem is they were giving out of ritual and not out of obedience. They forgot the whole purpose of generosity. They were supposed to tithe 10% of all that they had so that they could feed the hungry. So they could take care of the poor. They forgot about justice. They forgot about mercy. They forgot about faithfulness. You know, God doesn't care about how much you give. He cares that you're giving from the right reasons. 10% really was just the starting point, and they were so meticulous about it, they forgot who they were giving to. They forgot that they were giving to Almighty God. They forgot mercy. They forgot justice. They forgot faithfulness. You know, instead of doing one thing really well, they did both things poorly. You know, how do we feel if we were to hire a contractor and we were to get references from contractors? Would we, would we hire the contractor with the reference that's going to do the bare minimum, just do exactly what needs to be done? Or are we going to hire somebody that's going to go the extra mile for us? That's going to see, you know, a little detail and take the time to correct that detail. In other words, are you going to hire a contractor like Greg, who's the good one, by the way? Are you going to hire me just to get the job done? Okay, I don't make things look pretty. I get things done. I try really hard sometimes and it looks a little better. I'm getting better. But if you had to pick, you would hire the contractor that gets things done and makes it pretty and does it well. Probably someone like Travis. I think Travis would be a guy that would do things well. Just from the time that I've met him, I think he's a guy that would do things well. Who would you rather hire? You'd hire the one that's going to go the extra mile for you. You'd hire the one that's going to do the job right. Because it's not about getting the job done, it's about doing it well. Why are you doing the job to begin with? Number five, he calls them out for hypocrisy. No one likes a hypocrite. They were meticulously clean on the outside, perfect rituals, everything else. They washed properly, they cleansed properly, they had the right garments, they wore it at the right time. They made everything look good, but on the inside, it was filthy. It was a mess. They were judgmental, they were selfish, they were full of guilt and hatred and greed and self-indulgence. You know, I've learned that people want something that's real. People want authenticity. You know, I could stand up here and pretend that as the pastor, my life is absolutely perfect. My kids are angels 100% of the time. The best thing I have going for me is that my wife is amazing. If this is perfect, she's like right here, okay? I'm just sucking up really good today. But people want to follow someone that's real, and Jesus is the most authentic, the most real, the most perfect person of all. Jesus wants us to follow, or people want to follow something that's real. They don't want something that's fake. They don't want rituals for the sake of rituals. They want rituals that are gonna get them closer to God. You know, the fifth woe speaks about actions while the while six talks about their appearance. I like this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Number six, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombstones. You know, it was it was common practice. As I think it still is, still is. Wow, wow, Leland, thank you. He doesn't want me to talk anymore. It was common practice, and I think we still do it to keep the cemetery looking clean, to keep the cemetery looking really good, to whitewash the tombs, keep those tombstones fresh. And Jesus calls the Pharisees and he calls the religious leaders and he says, you guys are just a bunch of whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside, but absolutely dead on the inside. No matter what you do to the cemetery, the people that are buried there are still dead. I don't know if you know that. The people in the cemetery are still dead. No matter how nice you make the the tombs look. Now, I'm not saying don't do that. Honor, honor and respect the forefathers, but understand that they're dead. They, and Jesus calls them, he says, you look good on the outside, but you are absolutely rotting and dead on the inside. Could you imagine if someone said that to you? How do you think that would make, make you feel? There's moments where I think I have felt that way, personally, that you know, I can, I can make it look good, I've, I've played guitar long enough, and not that I sing the greatest, I don't have the best voice, I'm not nearly as good as this Greg over here, or my wife over here, but I, I can make it sound pretty good for a little while. I could easily forget why I'm singing songs to begin with. If I'm not humbled by God and his Holy Spirit to say, no, Gary, I've called you to worship me, not to sing songs in front of people. I've called you to worship me, not sing songs in front of people. It's so easy to put on a good show sometimes. And you know, I could probably find a really good sermon on Google and, and preach it to you, and you think, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard you preach, Pastor Gary. But it wasn't real, it wasn't authentic, it was just a whitewashed tomb. I think the surprising thing, and then, then, sorry, sorry, number seven, they would then celebrate and decorate the tombs of, the, of those who were important or righteous, good famous church leaders, or, or, or Jewish leaders, rather, They would would decorate them and celebrate them and said, we're not like our forefathers who would kill the prophets. No, we're better than that. But the very fact that they were plotting in that moment to kill Jesus meant that they were guilty of the same thing of their forefathers. I think the surprising thing about all of this is that they should have known better. These are the guys that should have known better. And Jesus calls them out. What does he call them? If you read further on in Matthew 23, he calls them snakes and he calls them a brood of vipers. Could you imagine at our next annual general meeting next week, if, if the board, myself and the pastor's council, we got up here and one of you pointed a finger at us and said, Pastor and board, you're nothing but snakes and a brood of vipers. And then they started listing the reasons why. I mean, I pray that that's not true. That's certainly not our hope or intention. But that's sort of the setting that's taking place here. I said, I said last week, I said it was like if I got together with Father Terry and, you know, we set up a big meeting downtown or, or at a hall in town or something and, and Jesus were to walk in the room with the community and start pointing the fingers at him and I as, you know, the religious leaders in town kind of thing. And, you know, that would be kind of the similar situation. You know, these guys are not to be messed around with or or played around with. These are serious people who have serious influence. And Jesus publicly calls them out. That is a burden of leadership. Is that the more powerful you get, the higher the pedestal gets. What does that mean? The farther the fall. And Jesus is calling them out publicly. We know that Jesus does not take pleasure in this moment. We know that a parent, as valuable as discipline is for a child, it's a hard task to do. But Jesus does what must be done. He goes where he has to go. That's awesome, love. Thank you. And we see as he leaves Jerusalem with his disciples, he leaves the temple. And if you've been to Israel, you've seen a map. He leaves the temple and he goes up to the Mount of Olives, which is a little bit higher than Jerusalem, a little bit higher than the temple, and he can see the city. He can see the temple as he's up on this mountain and he begins to mourn and grieve over the state that Jerusalem is in. These are God's chosen people to be a blessing to the world and yet they've turned their very back on God yet again. They're they're unwilling to repent and turn from their wicked ways and Jesus begins to mourn this great loss. Matthew 24, 14 brings us hope, though. He says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. He says, in spite of all that's going on, in spite of all this negativity and all these woes, these these seven or eight things that I've just pointed out, in spite of all of that, the kingdom of God will prevail and be known. The love of God will be known and will be felt around the world. The sick will be healed. The poor will be fed. Those who have suffered injustice will experience justice. Those who are stuck in bondage will experience freedom. In spite of all this. The silver lining is at the end of the day, Jesus is king. The end of the day, Jesus is bringing restoration to this broken and hurting world. The end of the day, Jesus wants to bring improvement to our lives and to this community and around the globe. Nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. Not powerful people, not barriers that get in the way that we put up, not even the things that we tell ourselves to be true that really are not. You know, I, I left last week, I said, feeling like I'm really glad next Sunday's coming because I got a better message than that. And I realized what I missed last week is I told you all the things, not, what not to do. But I never actually said, so what do I do in spite of all of that, Pastor Gary? And it was this week, Elizabeth was reading uh, a story to the girls before bed. And we always read just whatever book they have, chose it. And we always have our kids' Jesus book, we call it. It's a Bible story book. And as she was reading this week, and I was still, you know, reeling from last Sunday, kind of going through my mind, going like, man, that was just a really bad message. It could have been way better. Going through all the things in my mind. And she started sharing this story, and all of a sudden the light bulb came on. I realized this is what I missed. What do we do when there's a barrier between me and Jesus? What do I do when I have a family member or a friend, and there's something standing in the way between me and Jesus? And Jesus, What do I do? Well, the simple thing is, is you find a way. You break down the wall, you break down the barrier, and there's a story in Luke chapter 5, and this is what it says. Similar situation. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judah and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they came up with an idea. So imagine, this room is full of people, full of the crowd, you know, we, we've crammed, you know, COVID's gone, we've, we've crammed the room full of people and Jesus is here teaching. And these four buddies want to bring their friend who is paralyzed because they've heard that Jesus can heal him and make him walk again. And so they get creative in their story. He says, they went up onto the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, roofs, of course, are built differently there, but imagine, they get the ladder that's sitting at the back of the building Oh, behind us, you can go check it out if you don't believe me, it's there. They climb up to the roof, they bring their friend onto the roof, and they cut a hole through the ceiling. Which you know, we could probably paint the ceiling anyway, not a big deal. And they start to lower their friend into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. What a moment that would be. What a moment. On a cold, windy, blustery day as the pastor, I'd be a little bit disappointed. I said, couldn't you have just texted me, we would have made a way. But what a moment. They are willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. You know, and and uh, church, and the church. No, not almost. Oh, in the church. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, they're chanting, in the church, in the church, that's right. And they lower him into the crowd. And Jesus looks at him, and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And then there's a really good message here. We'll preach another time about what that means and why it made people upset. And then he says to them, he says to the man, pick up your mat and walk. And he walks out of the room, completely healed. Remember, he's paralyzed, couldn't walk, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. Jesus forgives his sins. People get upset at that and they say, who has the authority to forgive sins except for God? And Jesus says, you just said it right there. That means I'm God. And then they don't believe him and he says, watch this. He says, because of your faith, you are healed. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus takes this crazy spiritual concept. He forgives sins and then to prove it, he does a physical act of healing to show that he is who he says he is, to show that he is indeed God. I want to see people come to Jesus not because it makes me look good as the pastor to put more people in the church. I want to see people come to Jesus so that they can be healed spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, so that people can find freedom to know that they don't have to have fear in this world. That no matter what COVID virus comes, no matter what sickness comes, no matter even if death should come upon me, I don't have to be afraid because my God is bigger than death. My Jesus has defeated death. In fact, it says they put him in the tomb three days he came back to life. Not even death could hold him down. And then Paul reminds us that I have been made alive in Christ, which means if Christ lives inside of me, if Jesus lives inside of me, that I don't have to fear death either because there's just more life after death. I want people to have the hope to know that even if they breathe their last breath on this world, it's not the end for them, that there is so much more to life than just getting through day in and day out. There's so much more to life than coming to church and not coming to church. There's so much more to life than what you should do and what you shouldn't do, that God has called us to be a part of his family, and he wants something so rich for us and such an incredible blessing that he wants to bestow upon us, his children. He wants us to know his love. I want to be part of that family, and I want others to be a part of that family. And my prayer is that nothing would stand in the way between me and God. My failings, my sin, I pray and I believe that Jesus has taken it away. This is a declaration that I had written to say today. I say this. I declare today that Jesus Is Lord I have faith to believe that my sins are forgiven and I am spiritually healed and in return I solemnly swear that I surrender control of my life and as a pastor my leadership to him today I will live fearlessly in pursuit of Jesus walking in love and humility I will seek the power of the Holy Spirit to lead others to faith in Jesus the living God. Amen. Today, if you find yourself in a similar place, I'm going to say that again and give you an opportunity to repeat after me. If you really want to know God, and if you want others to know God, I encourage you to repeat these words after me today. If you're watching online, you can do it in the stillness of your home, wherever you're watching, but... You would do me a favor and maybe just close our eyes just to help eliminate some of the distractions. And we just take a minute and repeat this phrase today. I declare that Jesus is Lord. I have faith to believe my sins are forgiven and I am spiritually healed. I solemnly swear that I will surrender control of my life to him today. I will fearlessly live in pursuit of Jesus walking in love and humility I will seek the power of the Holy Spirit to lead others to faith in Jesus, the living God. Amen. Amen. If you said that today, I I firmly believe that God will do incredible work in your life. And you can always rewind the video and watch it again, and I can post this later on our Social media, if you want to see that again as a reminder. But I truly believe God wants to use you to build his kingdom, to build his family here on the North Shore. I firmly believe that God wants to do great things in the lives of our kids, in the lives of parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents.